This is the Enneagram 8 Podcast, and we're here to take you inside the armor. This is our first instinct interview. We are planning on interviewing one of each stacking order, so you can start to get a sense for why the order matters, and what it means to be blind in certain areas or to be overly fixated on others. We called on Amanda back from episode 46, try type 835, because she happens to be an eight with a stacking of social first, then sexual, with self-pres last. That is the same stacking as Aaron, so they had plenty of things in common. Hello? Hello. <laughs> Hi, Amanda. Hi, Amanda. Hi there. Catch us up. What's your life like? <laughs> I'm doing great, y'all. I just got done with a yoga class that I taught and, you know, sitting here in my own sweat per usual. How are y'all? My daughter's getting married. <laughs> wow. Congrats. That's Thank amazing. You. It's very quick. Very She's quick. 19. She'll be 20 by the wedding. It was like a super turbocharged. 20 by the wedding, which is in Four weeks. Oh, four weeks. Did I mention? <laughs> four weeks. Oh my goodness. Do we like the boy? <laughs> love the boy. We good. love the boy is hard not to love. Good. Yeah. That's good. We are at ease with the pairing just a little bit like my head is spinning from the speed, but I can handle it, right? We can handle right. it. You can handle it. Is the studio still going well? It really is. You know, we've started to have more of a rebound. You know, we're in Texas, so it was not the same. Mm-hmm. during COVID as other places, which was fortunate for yeah, businesses no like mine. But still, even with that, people took their time to come back and what they were comfortable with on their own. And I think also there was a, a weird, like, you know, everybody bought their own, like, at home workout and equipment. And then it was the, well, I bought this, so I've got to use it. We're in the, oh, I don't really like to just work out at home. I think I'm going to go back to my yoga studio phase. So that's nice. So it was so crazy, but we're very thankful that we made it out alive. Okay, so let's pretend we don't know you yet. And um, just introduce yourself with your tri-type and also your stacking order. Okie doke. Hi there. I am Amanda. I live in Texas. And I am an 835 with a social stacking of social, sexual and self-pres last. And this is your second time around. We interviewed episode 46. Yeah, you did such a good job. We're like, okay, let's let's just have her back. Yay. (laughs) Okay, Erin, how about you read that first quote just from the get-go? And uh, well, John Lukovich says, social eights tend to have immense energy for other people and tend to be more gentle, personable, and approachable eights. They are classic protectors and find fulfillment in mentoring, advocating for others, and helping others find their own power. Do you relate to that? I do relate to that actually quite a lot. I saw that quote before and it was probably the thing that was like, yeah, this is accurate. I definitely feel comfortable in a large group and I I am a yoga instructor and I love leading. And I think a lot of professions are like this, bartenders, hairstylists, but your yoga instructor ends up knowing a lot about you in your personal <laughs> life. I kind of love it. I love when I can catch up with someone and be like, oh, how's this going? And then they open up about it and we end up talking about it. And maybe I can help or maybe I can just listen and that is helping. So yes, I absolutely do. I will say that I am social last, but this quote still 
does relate to me too. And so the part though, that is definitely truer of you guys is the more personable, gentle Gentle. and approachable. Because I find as a sexual, I don't realize it, but I am not those things as much as I think I am. (laughs) Yeah. I do feel like people just come and tell me stuff. Yeah. So I guess that's part of the approachable nature of that. I will say I do have RBF. So if I'm walking through an airport, no one is going to talk to me, you know, (laughs) but in a, in a setting where I'm like turned on, you know, like that inner light is on then very approachable. Like I love a good mixer. I will absolutely talk to anyone. And I think people that do understand the Enneagram sometimes are surprised that I'm an eight because I don't come across as harsh initially until yeah. you want to get my opinion on something. Not, right. not as aggressive, right? <laughs> right. Correct. And I think the second part of the quote where like talking about protectors and mentoring, advocating and helping others like that, that is all eights. Yes. That is essentially yes. eight. We started with the gentlest quote. It's going to be harder. One. You're so similar to me though, Amanda, in terms of like, we have the same stacking and I am eight, seven, three. So we just ha- we're one off on the numbers, but yeah. we're very similar. Love it. Okay, so um, Enneagrammer is a website, and they kind of break down the difference between like type and then your instinctual drive. So if our Enneagram type is eight, then it means it's the strategy we use to get what we need. And so classic eight, our strategy is to move towards. Yes. Or, and usually with excessive force, like we don't realize that it's more forceful than people are quite prepared for. And we all do that differently. Or like Jerome Leva says, we disrupt something that is stagnant or we disrupt something that needs moving along. So that's our strategy. But for you guys, you do it in service to this fixation you have, this instinctual drive to connect to connect yes. with people and to impact them. So does that resonate? Yes, it does. It's interesting because I do feel like the sexual stacking comes out a little bit of this because I feel like my impact nature comes a little more in a one-on-one sense. I do like it as a group as well. And I mean, again, that's part of my job to do that. But I really want to make a person grow stronger, like one-on-one. I can be a little like a mama bear. Like I said, people will come to me with their stuff. And I want to make that person stronger in that moment and impact them in some way that they can pick themselves up later. I don't know if that's more sexual or social, or maybe it's just both. I wonder because I feel exactly the same way. Like I get the most joy out of connecting with someone one-on-one and empowering them to go empower themselves. Right. But my energy comes from being with a group of humans that fuel me in a way. How do I explain this? I was thinking about this last night. Because one of the quotes, and I don't know which one it was, I read, talked about how the group is your battery. Yeah. Yes. And I think for me, I don't, I'm not so concerned with the the group in terms of like looking in a room and and knowing where, who everybody is in that room or that. But when I can make a movement happen, or when I see the temperature of how people feel, like one of my things is I, I often go to Twitter and go down the rabbit hole. But what I look for is what everyone's saying. I want to know what the temperature of the people is, like the temperature of the group dynamic. Who's that is so leaning that yes. way? Who's not leaning that way? And that is what makes me either filled up or terrified. When I <laughs> yes. read the people who are leaning one way that I think is so wrong, and I see this movement starting to happen that is not something I think is healthy or good or is going to end badly, it's like it throws my entire being off kilter. 
It's so interesting that you say that because my husband has expressly warned me about being on Facebook multiple times. (laughs) He is like, stay off of that because I will, you just said rabbit hole. I will go down a rabbit hole of getting on a news article and looking at the comments. That's what I do. And I don't, I don't respond. I don't get into arguments, but I will let it absolutely affect. Well, it worries me. I'm like, what is going to happen if all these people think this is okay or this is true or lean this way like here's this is the damage is going to be done in all these other areas because people are trying to move forward this motive that's so not healthy right now right no I do the exact same thing and to add to that you said a group is where you get your energy like it's a battery I do feel that way and sometimes even though I want to impact someone in a one-on-one it can be extremely draining to me to do that However, like if I go even to a concert or something where I'm just around a lot of people and maybe I'm not even the center of attention, I, I'm filled up. I'm a true extrovert. Like oh I yes. love those situations. In my yoga studio, it is more taxing on me to teach a class with three or four people than it is to have the room completely packed out. Like I love to lead a lot of people and you can feel their energy shift. You can play with it a little bit. It's that's my jam. So I completely resonate with that being your battery, the crowd, a crowd of people. It's funny because we went to a hockey game, an NHL hockey game the other night with my family. And literally we were sitting there and they started to sing the anthems, right? Like the American team was there. So they were singing Star Sangled Bandler and then they sang Oh Canada. And I like had goosebumps all over my entire body because we're collectively 20,000 people together for one minute of like oh. doing the same thing, right? I stood there very, very aware this has got to be a social thing. <laughs> I'm not <laughs> sure everybody else feels this in the room, but it is like getting my battery filled up in that moment of just like connecting with 20,000 people, which is impossible, but it feels that in that moment. Yes. So going back to you, like liking a, pl- a room with a lot of people, do you feel filled up when you know those people don't have the same belief systems or values as you, or you know that something you know or believe in is not appreciated or you're not approved of? In a way, but it's like that antagonistic energy because I don't go into a situation like that and feel any sense of cowering or like a wallflower, like, Ooh, I don't really, you know, I'm not welcome here. I want to go in and like hold my head up and strut around and be like, well, I'm still here, you know, so out of it either way, you get something out of the group, whether you are one of the group or eat or you're the antagonistic one. Correct. Yeah. In a personal situation, I will say I'm a cut it off queen. Like I, if somebody that I, have previously had a relationship with is not providing me with anything that is going to evolve me in some way of growth or whatever that may be. I'm not interested in being around them. And if I see them, I'll probably avoid them. Like if they, if we ran into each other, I'm going to be like, Hey girl, how's it going? But other than that, like, no, I, I got my groceries in the car. I got to run. Yes, exactly. So yeah, on a personal level, no, but in a, in a situation, if I were walking into a room or if I knew that there was someone within the space who I didn't, you know, vibe with, then no, I don't care. It's, I kind of love it to be honest. I'm like, am I the villain? Am I the drama? <laughs> I kind of love that. <laughs>
John Lakovich again, we're just going to refer to him a lot and did a deep dive into instinct. He broke up the superpowers of social into three categories. So we'll just talk you through your three kind of superpowers as a social. And then I'll just, I'll ask you a bunch of questions because I don't understand any of it. I really don't. So the first is in the area of connection and care. And I do want to say that you guys were talking about um, groups and these guys would say it actually isn't so much about groups. So being social oddly, isn't so much that you like being in groups. That's too simplistic. It's that you guys are made to connect. And so you're actually building webs of connection. So it isn't about like walking into a room and like moving them. It's that you walk into a room and you start to network and you start to make all these individual connections that forms its own web. And you guys are the webmasters. So And uh, when you walk into a room and new people and you start talking to one person one-on-one, what is the first things you say? Well, if it's someone that I've never met before, I ask like who they know or like, oh, I know so-and-so or usually, okay, so this happened to me recently. A good friend of ours that lives in our neighborhood, they host this really cool thing. They call it Porch Fest. And it's like they have bands and live musicians that yep. play. They have a beautiful porch and they just have people from the neighborhood who will pop up with chairs and hang out all day. It's really cool. Oh, that's awesome. There was this woman there and I'd recognized her. I didn't know why I recognized her, but I just walked up and I was like, can you tell me your name? I feel like I recognize you. Who do you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> and she was like, yeah, I'm, you know, friends with so-and-so. Obviously we had the person that we were at their house in common, but I knew it was another reason And then we got down to that reason and I was like, oh, we love him. And we, you know, that was (laughs) the connection. Yeah. So I won't actually say, who do you know? But I, that's the first thing I think is how do we figure out who we have in common? So it's like, where do you live? Where do your kids go to school? What community are you part of? Oh, I know this person in that community. Do you know? Like it's constantly, again, also trying to find the human connection. Yes. And with that, um, so webmaster and connecting, but I would say that I am a connector of a lot of people. So in some situations where I've met someone and there has been common ground, I will invite them somewhere that I know, you know, that I'd be like, well, you would fit in if you like this person, then come fit in. I've joined several people and connected people within groups that way who have then become friends as a result. I do that all the time too. I'm constantly looking for connection to people and then who I know who I can connect those people too as well. Yes. We're going to find common ground in yeah, some way somehow. It's yeah. just what we're going to do naturally, right? Like a right. natural thing is we're going to find common ground immediately. Yes. And if we don't, I'm usually not sticking around for too long. <laughs> Correct. Yes. Well, some people, and I think that that's just a personality thing. I think some people don't prefer to be talked to. And Ada's good at reading energy. And if you walk up to somebody that's more closed off, you're like, okay, bye. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to spend much time here. So here's the question then with regards to like connection and care. Do you find that you are sensitive to when somebody doesn't fit in the group? Like you're just aware that they are someone that isn't going to jive. And then what do you do about that? Absolutely. And um, I'm working on this. <laughs> because <laughs> I have been known to when I feel that way, it's usually out of a sense of protecting someone else. So it might be someone that a friend is dating that I don't like. That's usually what it is, to be honest, that kind of situation. And I have been known to then not be super nice to that person. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm really working on that and trying not to make a, my husband says, you always assume things about people before you give them a chance. And that's hard. Like, and I think that that's, you know, part of my tri-type too, like a little bit of the five and analyzing 
because I feel like I just know who someone is very quickly. Yeah. I don't want to take the time to let them prove otherwise, but it's not my journey. And so trying to work on it and be warmer, but it has been a challenge because naturally when somebody doesn't drive, they don't get to stay long because I'm not fake at all. Like you will know that I am not happy about you. Aaron plays this role with us because we're about to start to put groups together. Like that's what Aaron and I are working on is, is trying to we're build... building an Enneagram community. Yeah. Love we're, it. We're starting to do some network stuff. And so what happens is she goes, this won't be a fit. And I, as a sexual, I'm like, let's give everyone a chance. I could go deep with any one of them and I'm ready and willing to do it. And she's like, no, but you've got to think about the whole. You've got to think about the group and this person isn't going to fit. Just something I'm blind to and she very intuitively knows. Right. And yes. sometimes I'm wrong. <laughs> I would, uh, You know what? That is something that I've started saying. Like, if there is a situation like that, I will tell the person that I'm like, eh, I don't know. I don't really, I don't like this. I'll be like, I could be wrong. I could be. Yeah, not often, and, the, and we often talk it out, right? Like I make Joe talk it out with me and I try to, I have to, to talk to kind of work through what I'm thinking and feeling. And so we either get to a point where she can talk me out of it or she understands what I'm coming across with, I think. Yeah, right. It's, it's a process. You talk about protecting like the person who might get harmed. So for me, I look back and I think I protect. So if, if I've had been with a group and we've had, an amazing time together and we're recreating it next year. We do an annual event or something and I see a new person coming in that might taint that fun or like change the dynamic. So it won't Mm -hmm. be as enjoyable. And that might be the seven piece in me. I'm always also looking to protect the fun. Yes. Like if you're going to get in the way of our fun, because we don't jive or your kids don't behave and now you're, they're going to become problematic in the dynamics of the kids. And I am terrible for working around that and trying to avoid inviting them. <laughs> we, I'm a little like that too. I will. Yes. When I don't have children, so we don't have to deal with that extra, which is thank goodness because y'all, that's hard <laughs> for you guys. You mothers like, woof. my husband and I are both social people. So we're usually the people that are getting all the texts on a Friday or Saturday. Like, what are y'all doing? And sometimes I am very specific depending on my mood or like what I want to do. And I'm like, yes to these people, but I don't, I'm sorry. I, I love this person, but I can't do that. It's today. so but, true. I do the same thing. Yeah. Yes. Okay. We, I host, um, I host a party every year for, well, I did anyway, for my birthday. And it's really interesting because I think Aaron is sensitive to the dynamics of the group as a whole, whereas all I really care about is how close I am to each individual. Right. Yeah. So I'm oblivious to how they're going to interact with each other, whereas I feel very cozy and close with each. I'm the hub. Sexual people tend to be the hub to like a lot of really deep connections. And then when we ever bring them all together, it could go really wrong. I don't think (laughs) I think but I think there's like a natural ease because good people are who I focus on. Right. But I think that everyone there has something, in, again, the connection, right? Everyone there has you in common. They mm-hmm. all love you. Yeah. So then everybody can kind of find that common ground and be together. Well, sure. that, that is the great thing about eights. My eight friends, I always trust that I'm going to like their friends. Right. <laughs> it's, it, you just said you choose good people. I really do think that eights are particular about who is in their inner circle and who right. does get the most of their energy. So I've had great success with bringing people together, but you know, sometimes you're just like, nah, not today. And that's okay. Cause I'm with you. Like I'm, I think I 
can tend to wing seven quite often. And I'll be like, I don't want to be brought down. That person might be, and this is kind of mean, but if it's like somebody's going through some shit, I'll help them deal with their shit one-on-one. But if we're going to have fun, I don't want you here. (laughs) Don't, don't bring it down. I'm trying to have a good time. (laughs) Yeah. I feel that a lot. Okay. Your superpower, your second one, John calls it mind reading. It feels like that's what you guys are doing. And it is that thing where you scan the dynamics of a group and you seem to pull information kind of out of the air about people. It's like a knowing you have about the dynamics that people are going to bring and what's happening with people. So I think you guys are super aware of that. Well, I also struggle with this one a little bit with social because I also think it falls under three, a lot of it. So, and both of us have three in our tri-type. So we depict which of this which, but I think they're similar. I do too, because, you know, threes are just masters at networking and things like that. And I think it falls into that because if you're a good networker, you're reading the crowd constantly or reading people constantly. And I I think I can do this in both ways. It doesn't always have to just be negative because eights do have, I think all eights have like a BS sensor, but I'm also really good at like, I know when I like someone a lot or, you know, you get that feeling of you meet someone or you see someone interact and you're like, that person is sunshine. I'm going to go stand close to them. And I can feel that immediately. Like I have a friend that I've made recently and that was the situation where I was like, Ooh, I don't know what it is exactly about this person, but I just love them and I'm going to go be near them because I could tell. And then the more I've gotten to know them, I was absolutely right about it. And they're just fantastic all around. I've used this analogy a lot on our podcast and probably because the original time it happened, I was describing it to Joe and I was saying, you know, when this happens and she looked like I had three heads and she said, no, Aaron, I don't have that superpower. So, (laughs) but when you walk into a room of people and you're in charge or you're leading this group, can you immediately scan the room and say, Ooh, that person's going to be problematic or this person needs to be utilized because they have a lot to give and they're holding back. And if I empower this person, then it's going to bring everybody up and we're going to be able to do this or that. Or can you do that? Yes, I can. And most specifically for an example, like when I, when I'm leading a class is when I feel this the most because one person that's struggling can really affect the energy in the whole room, even if nobody else understands that that's what's happening, but I can. And then it's my job to try to like help them to not do that, to not, because if, if one person is really struggling, whether that be that they're just falling all over the place and getting frustrated or they're upset about something and you can tell, you can see it in their face that penetrates throughout the room and the other people might not even know why their practice isn't as good but I can see it because I'm the one that's leading. So then it's my job to try to get everybody to a place of presence and being still and clear in that moment so that they can reset. But I can do it in social settings as well. It's just the most noticeable in a yoga class for well, me. Because you're at the front of the room. I think it's any anything we're leading, where we're right. responsible for the humans in front of us. It's, it's like you've intuitively gathered them all up. So you're now officially holding them all. And so then your radar gets super tuned in. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's yeah. physical. It's, it's interesting because when you, when you are in a space like that, whether it is in a fitness realm or just business or family, I feel like it becomes physical. Like I can feel it. And in those situations, I'll come out of a class and be exhausted from trying to yeah, br- swing the energy in the way that I want it to be, basically. We've established you guys seem to have the ability to kind of steer a room of people. Do you find that the same 
superpowers mean you can actually steer an individual as well? Do you find you mostly get what you want? Mostly. Yeah. Yeah, I'd agree. I know you've said that. I think, I think I know how to read the person in front of me to, to be able to get what I want. Like I can talk it, persuade it, sell it, whatever it is I need. I know they need to hear from me. I can usually tailor to what they need to get from me. So I get what I want. Absolutely. I 100% agree with everything that you just said. (laughs) (laughs) One of the things that social types can do is they're sensitive to social contracts. And that means that societies that you're working in, it's macro and micro. So you seem to know what the rules are. You're sensitive to like what is expected. And then you know how to play the game. Because as eights, we're not going to do the sixth thing and fall in line just because. It's going to be that you just intuitively know what the contract is that is expected of you. And then you can either break or work within the parameters in a way that uh, works for you. Well, it's going to be to get what we want. Yeah. Like the ultimate goal yes. is the same. I can I can play the game. I can play the rules yes. if it gets me something that I need more than the cost of those rules. Right. Yes. It's a risk versus reward situation. Always. Yeah. Uh, and I'll break the rules the same way. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that that goes for personal and professional in my life. Like, Anytime you're dealing with a lot of different kinds of people, you're not going to have the same beliefs. And like I said, people will come forth with their personal lives um, when you're in a position like I am as a teacher. And even if I completely don't agree with someone, the risk of disagreeing is losing their business. So I play the game like I'm like, yeah, all right. And maybe every now and then I'll add in an opinion until they become the person you don't want in the room. Right. Well, right. that luckily has very rarely happened. Thank goodness to, to me personally. But yeah, I, I but, feel like I'm pretty good at playing the game, even in my marriage, you know, like that pick your battles thing. Like it just extends from my very personal relationships to anything. And I think this is five-ish as well. I'm not going to rock the boat unless it's absolutely worth it. And then I will. What Joe has kind of explained too, is that we, we understand how to play the game the way others don't like we understand the rules without being told the rules we can sort of sense what the dynamic is how people are playing this game and we can join in and almost manipulate it yes that is true and I'm gonna add this is also your three so you guys just you are (laughs) double able (laughs) you're double able to do this so we can be really really horrible humans or really (laughs) awesome empowering humans yes that is true I yes we can take you down or build you up in the in the worst parts of my life I've definitely been more manipulative I try not we'll talk about it we'll talk about (laughs) it in the dark side okay then the last bit to this mind reading thing is that you're sensitive to power so you're very aware of power dynamics and um what does that mean for you like how do you work with that how does that impact you well I try to be the most powerful, obviously. Um, (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. But I I can notice that. And I think that this is eights in general. When I sense a power dynamic, I immediately try to recognize if that person is worth the power that they think they have. And if they're not, then I'm immediately going to kind of butt against it a little bit. But if I trust that person, or if it's somebody that I think is competent, then I accept it. But I can recognize power dynamics immediately. It's kind of, this is crude, but I can tell when someone's trying to put their dick on the table. Yeah. Basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if if I don't like that they're doing it, I'm like, mm, mine's bigger. So here we go. You know, but yes. 
to answer your question, absolutely. I can recognize them. I don't have any, and I don't have any patience for it. I roll my eyes and I just, it doesn't give me anything except it makes me feel like they're small. <laughs> I 100% agree. Yes. If you show your power that much, then you must be really insecure. Yes. And the key, the thing that we have to make note of is this is an eight podcast, which means that if we were interviewing another social type and we talked about power dynamics, they, they could get hot and bothered because they actually really care and they order their life accordingly. But eights don't care. They're aware of the power structure, but that is not an obstacle. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's really, for me, the only time that I ever feel antagonistic about a power construct is that when somebody is being super boisterous about theirs, like you said, like showing and because I feel like they look small and it's just irritating to me. That's the only time that I ever care about it because I'm like, why are you talking? Stop talking right now. I, I feel that if you're with your people and you can't empower them, are you valuable? <laughs> no, not really. No, that is it's sad to say that but yeah, one of my girlfriends who I love she she's always like you're my hype man and I love it I'm like yeah sure am girl but then when you have situations like I have a dear friend who for years has been in a bad relationship and I've tried y'all I've tried she won't do the work herself and it's come to a point where I'm like I don't know what to do anymore I can't do anything for it. so I do feel completely invaluable in that situation you know to a point where I feel like I'm having to walk away a little bit, like step back because my value has been so diminished and she will not help herself that I'm like, I don't know what I have to offer you as a friend anymore. Yeah. And sometimes that's an energy thing, right? Like sometimes I feel like those situations where, and actually Joe and I just had this conversation this morning when you're giving into someone and, and they take and take and take and they refuse to put any effort in change. Right. Like it's dead. You can't you can keep throwing that ball at the wall, but it's still going to fall flat on the ground. Like it's not. Well, what's interesting about this particular situation is it's not like she's a bad friend to me. You know what I mean? Like, no, no, I I totally get it. But there is like nothing giving energy back. Right. Right. You can't when we cannot help. It's it is. It's an us problem, I think. Yes. When we can't help, we don't feel valuable. Sort of like we're not, and you may you may have this down because you got the yoga thing going on, and I think that is like a goal in life for me. It's <laughs> like to be able to be still and be valuable. And I wonder if half of it is you're teaching the yoga class, so you're actually helping everybody, so you're actually full of value at the front of the classroom, but you're still getting the yoga in. Yes. Whereas for me, like not moving forward period. I feel invaluable. And that might be an eight thing in general. Right? Uh, yes, not I agree. And honestly, ask me how many times I just take yoga without teaching it. It's like hardly ever. Um, ask. <laughs> ask. Right. And so I, I think that, yeah, there is something about and it's, it was Jim Zartman that said it. He said, I'm always looking for who needs to be empowered. How do I strengthen them? And then saying, like, I don't care about the power structure, but everyone is mine to protect, defend, and empower. And if I can't do it, then I'm not valuable. Yes, absolutely. And that's just not how I'd put it as a sexual. I'd, it would be the same idea where if we're not moving forward, we're not valuable. Yep. But I'm moving forward into depth and transformation. So if I'm not growing and changing, and I'm not growing <laughs> and changing other people, I'm not valuable. And we're and ours is if we're not changing other people or empowering others, yeah. we're not. It's in service to different yep. goals, but the same eight strategy. <laughs> okay, so then the last, the area that you guys um, seem to have skill at is kind of harmony and like 
figuring out social roles and things like that. And this is where your three, it's just blended. So it would be interesting to talk to an eight without three who's social, just to <laughs> see what the difference is. But it's your ability to shape the way you fit into certain situations. And in an eight case, it's not adapting yourself. It's more like like we said, it's like making adjustments to play the game, yeah, but it's, it's that ability it. to shape yourself to meet that social contract or whatever. So yeah, it's how does that work for you guys? Man, I honestly, I love, I love this because I think I do lean into my three a lot and I love playing a part and that goes into playing the game. So I like in social situations going from being, you know, the sweaty yoga teacher that never wears makeup to dolled up out at my husband's an attorney. So like doing one of his things and walking around with the highbrow people and nobody would know, you know? And so I feel like I can put myself in any situation and not only look natural, but feel very natural in that situation. I was like in high school Many moons ago, I was like an athlete, like a big athlete, played all the sports. And then I was also the president of my art club. Yeah, that's you awesome. Know? That's me. So just <laughs> lots of, I've always had a lot of different groups, different types of friends. And like I said, not only just looking like you blend in, but I've actually felt like I can blend in anywhere. I just don't feel like I don't fit anywhere. Like, right. I don't not fit anywhere. Same thing. I, I think of high school, walking the halls. I was brand new in a high school of 1600 kids in grade 11. And I had no friends. And it, like, I just held my head high and was like, I belong here. Right? Like, I don't know. And yet, I really didn't have any good friends in school setting because I built all mine outside of school or at my previous school. But I do really resonate with that. Like, I just don't feel like there's a place that I don't belong. Can you, definitely... Can you do it anywhere? Can you do it? Like, say, say both of you were uprooted and you were <laughs> dropped in uh, Panama. Would you oh. be able to do this? Like, land on your feet and yes. immediately pick up the cultural rules and do it? I don't Absolutely. know if I pick up the cultural rules, but I think I would stumble through it and be fine. Still, yeah, I could still connect with people. I could still feel like I belong. I would figure out how to belong. And that's just a level of grit, right? Like I actually had um, a guy that I used to work with several years ago and I had gone through my divorce and I was starting something new and I was sitting with him and he goes, man, you're just always going to land on your feet, aren't you? And I said, is there any other way? Mm-hmm. And it's, it's very true. So I agree. Like, yes, it would take some adjustment. I wouldn't just be able to plop down and be like, got it. And there would be an amount of grieving if you were uprooted because you have to do that. But maybe in this stacking, like it's just a forward motion thing. Like you have to do it. So Mm -hmm. there's no other choice. Yeah. So you will. Yeah, I agree. That sounds about right. Okay. So then we touched on this before, but if you guys have a knack for like harmonizing a group and whatnot, what is the process by which it's time to rebel and not harmonize? You talked about it. It involves weighing the cost. It involves a calculation. But talk me through a time where you were like, it's time to blow this shit up or whatever. Because you guys do it in a particularly genius way. So a sexual eight blows it up in the messiest, most destructive way possible because we're actually oblivious to all the parts, the little parts. But when you guys decide, okay, I am deliberately going to alter this group or walk away from this group or whatever it is, what does that look like? Usually I'm somebody who alters versus walk away. It has to be a 
very dramatic thing to walk away. And it's usually because somebody else has put me in the position to be like, yeah, I'm just going to bow out. Recently, my husband and I were at dinner with his family and they are a little bit older than us and have some very conservative views. And sometimes I say things that (laughs) are just, you know, a little wild. And most of the time I let it slide off because I'm playing the game. But recently they were talking about somebody that they know who has been married for a very long time and he's been very involved in his faith and all this stuff. And now he's kind of going through a midlife crisis and he's like running off to Nashville and leaving his wife behind. And they were kind of joking, like he probably has another wife. And I go, I mean, probably doesn't have another wife, but I bet he has another girlfriend. And they all looked at me because usually (laughs) I don't say things like that. And they were, they were like, well, we were just joking. And I mean, I was just like, no, probably not. You can only be repressed for so long. His wife isn't a peach. Like, yeah, I've had a very similar experience. <laughs> yeah. Half the time, I don't realize I've said something so outlandish till you look up and everybody's looking at you with like bug eyes. And you're like, right. Oh, oh, I thought I was why? just being funny. I, was I mean, just being <laughs> honest. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like little things like that. It's usually little jabs. <laughs> You know, I've recently called one of my girlfriend's boyfriends a really bad name and that I thought it was funny and he was being a, <laughs> he was being a bitch, but like, you know, now he's mad at me. So it's just, it's little things like that, that I'll do to disrupt. And I mean, and don't you hate it when you have to actually go manage it after when you're like, oh, now I have to deal with this. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, great. Now I've got to figure out how to apologize or whatever. And that's it in the repressed situation where I just laughed and like, I was like, oh, well. So I think for me, like, I I don't know if it's because my health deteriorated and I don't have the energy to try to reform. And I, I don't anymore. Like, I think I, if I'm, it's not meeting my needs or it's a place that isn't safe for me anymore, I'm just out. Like, I just shut off. I'm not available anymore. Like I said, if it's something that I need to walk away from, like I said, I'm a cutoff queen. So that's usually what it is. Like, I'm not available anymore. Five can do that. Yes. So I, I don't usually make that a big scene. If I need to exit a situation, it's not a scene. I'm just, I'm just detach. out. Detach. Well, and that's what I do. I detach. So I'll still see people that I was good friends with, but I will be less available and just, I do it and then I leave and I'm like, why do I put my energy here? Because this isn't, I need to not do this anymore. Social humiliation. Have you ever experienced that? You guys would be sensitive to that. (laughs) I can think of distinct times in coffee shops with Joe (laughs) where you might make a comment about something because and you're not wrong, but you'll say it out loud. And it's the thing I'm thinking, but I'm like, oh, oh, my gosh, I'm so in other words, I caused her social humiliation. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think that I was definitely I would feel that more when I was younger. My skin has gotten a lot thicker as I've aged. When I was young, I worked at a restaurant with like a lot of women. And, you know, those situations can get catty and ridiculous. And if you feel excluded, you it does, like, if you're intentionally excluded and maybe you don't know the reason, you can feel that. And that's what it feels like is like a social humiliation. But I'm happy to say that that has not happened to me in a long time. And luckily, I haven't felt like that. And I'm really not embarrassed easily. Like, I think the only time I would ever get embarrassed was if someone, if I'd said something genuinely ignorant and somebody called it out. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. You knew you were guilty if you knew you were guilty. Right. But yeah, luckily, not for a long time. Uh, How do you relate to reputation management? I think this goes into three too, because my reputation is super important to me. I don't always care what people 
think on like a personal level, like if you tell me your opinion, I'm like, yeah, I don't care. But I care about how I am perceived in a large scale, for sure. How do you want to be perceived? I want to be perceived as intelligent and successful. I think that intelligent is like the main thing. And it's funny because that is so five. Yes. And my first thought is competent. I want to be perceived as competent. Which is three. I do not like to ever feel silly or like a fish out of water. Like I want to have all my ducks in a row and competent is a great way. That's a great word for it. And I have no problem owning when I don't know something, right? Like oh, if I know same. something, I'm happy to say, I don't know about this. I don't know Correct. that. Absolutely. Right? But when I think I know a lot and then I don't, that's, that's worse. I read a great quote the other day and I'm going to miss quote it, but it literally said when people act like they know everything, it's the sign of weakness versus people who can admit that they are unsure is a sign of security. And I am very good at that. I'm like, I don't know about that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I'll look it up for you. That's also very eight though, right? Let's yes. put our insecurities out there and name them. And that way no one can charge us with anything. That's so true. <laughs> exactly. Um, here are some of the dark sides to social and then you can tell me if this shows up for you. So because you guys are such geniuses at kind of interpersonal dynamics and all that stuff, it really does mean you can manipulate ultimate con artists, especially if you've got the three and the eight. So have you ever been like very aware of the power you wield? And like, has there been times where you realized you almost led people off a cliff or you were like a Pied Piper and you were like, oh boy. Yes, Absolutely. I think that this happened a lot. I think that this is also a level of growing, right? This happened when I was more unhealthy. Yeah. And I will absolutely say when I was single and absolutely, I was reckless in my life, which was a lot of fun. I'm not going to lie, but <laughs> you know, that recklessness also extended to my relationships and the way I treated some people. Mm-hmm. And in that I became really manipulative and this sounds so terrible. I'm just outing myself, but you know, lying and twisting and because yeah. I had a roster built and I just wanted to keep it that way. And it was fun. So mm-hmm. it worked for me, but definitely not yeah. always for other people. One of the narratives that we lie to ourselves about as eights is that we're not big liars, but we 100% are big liars if it means we're self-protecting. So it depends on what you're protecting and how badly you want to hang on to it. We can be the best liars. My husband is a, is a six and he, I never knew I was a liar till he showed up in my life yeah <laughs> and then all of a sudden I realized I he called it it was exaggerating but totally. it's the same that's thing, what right? my husband says too he and really does he yeah, says he's like, or the queen of exaggeration. That something it's not and then now I've changed my perception completely and probably like you said right it's it's getting healthier and understanding why we do what we do but I almost do the opposite now like I underplay everything right because I watch my husband do it and I'm like, that is way better. Like you are way stronger as a human and you have way more power when you yes. underplay and you surprise people yes. versus our like yes and we don't meet, quite meet up to it. I'm sure that there are plenty of single people that are so healthy and altruistic and all those other things. I was not one of them. <laughs> I am a completely different person as a married person <laughs> than it. I was when I was single. Okay. Another thing, because you guys are sensitive to group harmony and are particularly protective, it means that when you identify that somebody's not good for the you can really be against them and kind of become like a sheepdog in terms of keeping the bad ones out, so to speak. How does this happen where you're aware that you have suddenly you've become against somebody because they're going to harm? And how do you do that well? And how have you done that poorly? This goes back to what I said at the very beginning about, you know, 
trying to protect people who are close to me and going against. So it's usually a friend's partner or, you know, new fling that I'll have a distaste for and immediately against them, whether it's just I don't like their energy or I don't like their intentions, whatever it may be. And that is, like I said earlier, something I'm working on trying to allow them to show me that they're not doing what I assume they're doing. But it's a a work in progress because if I feel somebody with weird energy, it's I will immediately go against them. And it's very hard to turn me back. I can be stubborn about it. I used to chair the council for our kids school and we did a lot of outreach. We had a very affluent community in the school and so we were always helping other schools and I remember being in this meeting where we were going to do Christmas for 30 families. Our school was taking on Christmas for 30 families and we were all brainstorming together how we were going to make this massive initiative happen. And there was one mom who couldn't get past the fact that we were giving gift cards to a grocery store to these families. And she was so angry and kept saying, how do we know they're not going to spend this on alcohol? How do we know we're not going to waste it? We can't do that. We need to purchase their food for them. And I remember just like cutting her out. I was like, you are dead because you are so not helpful. And this is so unfair and unkind. And I said to her straight up in front of everybody, it is up to them what they do with it. We are not going to micromanage other adult humans who are struggling. And if they aren't responsible, oh, well. Good for you. Right. And she was so angry that I called her out in front of a group of like 30 adults and she never came back. And I was like, win, score, (laughs) a mission accomplished, like, which is terrible because I probably should have talked to her after quietly and not made it a big embarrassing event for her. But she was so aggressive that I felt like I had to match the intensity to shut her down. Right. And sometimes people need to be checked. There have been situations like that in my life. And I think that people like that woman go on spewing their aggressive nature because they're not checked, because they're continuously. And and for me, it's like, what is this going to do to our initiative? Right. So we, we are trying to promote something that is loving and inclusive and caring and kind. And when we're focusing on that, all you're going to get is anyone else who has any type of insecurity in that area joining her bandwagon. Instead of jumping on the nature of the project, right? So she was harmful to the group. (laughs) So I took her down or take her out. You're not going to make it. (laughs) Yeah, I just, I do wonder sometimes if I could have handled it a little nicer. But (laughs) when I think of those times that I have disrupted the group, it's usually when they're going to harm the integrity of the group or the cause. Right. Not usually. You don't do that easily. For me. Not at all. Unless they're going to harm the fun. And then it's for me. <laughs> the fun or the integrity of the group. One of the other. So another thing that can happen with social first, and you and Aaron won't have this as much because you're sexual as second, but what can happen and is true with Aaron and I is that you connect with a lot of people, but you don't necessarily go deep. I have a really large group of friends and I would consider deep friendships with like three of those people. So I can go deep, but it's, it's just not with everybody. I feel exactly the same way. Whereas I think I'm, I have the potential to go deep and All have the energy them. with every yes, single you human do. I meet. Yes. yes, you do. You drain me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I watch what you do. And I'm That's like, right. What's interesting, Aaron, do you feel like the people that you know, you don't go deep with would assume that you do. They think that you do. Yeah. I feel sure. the same. I feel like I'm a very good listener. And like I said, people tell me a lot of things, 
but that doesn't always mean that they get any information out of me. But you know what the difference is? If my if one of those people in those three that are really close to me hurt me and I withdraw, they know 100% right away. Of course. Oh, absolutely. Right? Yes. I know. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I think lots of people think I'm we're very close. My idea yes. of close and theirs is very different. Absolutely. Or maybe they just think I tell them all the things. That as well. <laughs> the curated version. Also because... I do tell them all the things. I'm very candid about what I say. I have no problem telling you all the things I'm feeling. But the only people who are going to see me feel any of those feelings are going to be those three people. Exactly. And I'm probably not feeling 90% of the things I tell you that I am. (laughs) (laughs) I I think I am in my head. (laughs) It actually has, um, I've frustrated myself before because if I am struggling, obviously my husband sees that and he's a good nurturer and a great partner, but when I'll be like, why do none of my friends even give a shit about like, I'm struggling? Nobody's reached out to me. Mm-hmm. And my husband will be like, they don't know you, idiot. None of them <laughs> yep. know. So, so true. <laughs> Those three people know when you go quiet to check in. Yes, absolutely. Right? And the others don't know. Social eights, there'd be a particularly acute fear of like being ostracized. That would be a word that you might relate to more being outside of a group you care about. So you can be at risk of like trying to maintain your role as like mission leader because people then would be so rallied around the mission. They won't kick you out. (laughs) I'm not sure I've ever been the person who's been kicked out till recently. Okay. But now, right. Because I am the mission leader. I am the bring, I bring the fun. I bring all of it. And yes, I have recently been ostracized out of a group. It's been earth shaking. It's you. awful. Yeah. It's horrible. And it's and I know lots of eights have had it happen younger years. I just I guess I got to now. <laughs> I'm so sorry. That's uh, it is awful. A few years ago, I was like a lead instructor at a studio that honestly, I'd never really had any intention of leaving the boss. I don't I don't know what happened. She went a little crazy. Things got weird. And I was teaching over 20 classes a week at this place. y'all. Like I carried the load and I was the person there. And she fired me kind of out of nowhere. And it's what led me to start my own place. But in that, like being ostracized, it was awful. And crazy too. Like when you're, you're the person bringing everything and then they just want you out. Yeah, it was very, it was so weird. And still like, even I was very lucky because in the moment when it happened, I was like, what is everybody going to think? It goes back to that reputation thing. Right. So I was like, what is everybody going to think? What is she going to tell them? How is this going to spin? And I was lucky. A lot, so many people did know me well enough that they reached out and were like, what happened? And the truth was, I didn't really freaking know. Like, it was so weird. In that moment, it's, it is awful to be kicked out. So well, I'm really sorry thing, going through that. As with everything, like, you gain on the other side, right? Like, the other, right. other things. And But I think the thing I was saying to my husband is like, I built this community. I am the person who brought all these humans together. How dare they? And then now it's like, oh, you no longer work for us. We don't have room for you and the way you feel. So you're out. It's just like, what is that? And it's a them problem, I'm assuming. But it's just like, I maybe I wish that there was more understanding surrounding like what led to this specifically. Because I think that that's like what the, when you feel ostracized, that that's like what it is. It's the lack of understanding. Because a lot of times I'm very good at calling myself out. If I've messed up, or if I don't know, or whatever it may be, I will call myself out and be like, I was wrong. But in a situation where you do feel ostracized, I think it's that uncertainty that is the most stinging of everything. Yeah. And I think for me, like, I know what happened. 
I just, it's upsetting that people who are supposed to care for you don't have space for your feelings because they're different than theirs. Right. I guess that's the harder part. It was like, you didn't have room for me. That's weird. I made for all of you for so many years. It sucks. I don't even know where we were going with this. (laughs) (laughs) That it just sucks that we feel it. Poor Joe is like, we're never getting through this. You two talk way too much. Believe it or not, I was feeling Aaron's feelings because I know how hard this has been. So that is false. I was with you is what was happening. So here's where we get to the blind spot because this, this actually matters just as much as the thing that you have as your primary. Your blind spot for both of you is self-preservation. That is the thing that sustains your well-being. <laughs> it's the boundary-creating thing that allows you to but maintain I, your health and your well-being. But I learned something today. <laughs> if you become a yoga instructor, you can probably manage that. <laughs> it does make it easier. This is the only way that I practice it. But I know because I read this part, it also touches on your sleep and all this other stuff. And I don't get enough sleep. I do eat well and I do drink enough water. I'm very mindful of those things. But I think that a lot of that is vanity, to be honest. (laughs) But I will say since I've been a yoga instructor now for about a decade, and it took me about three years to actually get in a practice of presence. And I'm way better at it now and like feeling in my body and knowing when something's wrong. However... That doesn't mean that I will not run myself ragged because I absolutely do. Even though I am in a fitness and wellness industry, like I still teach way too much. I still don't sleep enough. I could be doing a lot of things way better to preserve myself, but here we are. Yeah. In a sense, the fact that you're teaching it kind of defeats the purpose. (laughs) Absolutely. Yes. I don't know. I think it gains the purpose. I think you're... (laughs) Even if you're teaching it, you're still still. No, but she's aware of the group the whole time. I know, it's true. So you're managing the whole time is what's happening. It it really is. Yes. I know. (laughs) Yes. Um, Totally different. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's interesting because like John Luckovich, he spent a lot of time trying to get the words across for what it actually feels like in our body to have these three um, instincts. And self-press feels like self-containment. And that... That is something you guys don't understand. (laughs) No. Because as social, you're actually the most diffuse. So you actually spread yourself out the widest. And self-pres is the most contained and I'm in the middle. This practice of rootedness and self-containment would feel so foreign to you. Yes. I do feel like if I really need to get grounded, I need to go outside. Every time. It's the only place that grounds me. Preferably the ocean, but it's a lot of miles away from me hours and 46 minutes away in a car that's what I need to do and I don't do it enough like more than yoga more than anything else like if I need to be grounded I need to be outside and even if I just go and stand in my backyard for a little while but preferably for me I like to go hiking and I want to be alone I don't want anybody with me I will not wear headphones I just want to go into trails and be alone and I need to I need to make that more of a habit because I definitely don't do it enough yeah, there's a uh, like a trail nearby us that's not nobody uses. It's kind of hidden in a farmer's field. And I go there regularly now. But every time I go, I think, oh, I really should do this more. Like every time yeah. I go, I'm filled up and I leave and then I forget till I'm like burnt out again. Exactly. That's what happens. No oh. self-containment. Just no. burning the candle from both ends. 
But it is the same. I can't listen to a podcast and I can't listen to music. Like I have to stop everything. I don't listen to much at all. Like if I'm on a walk or anything, I do not have headphones in. I'm just, I try to be present to try to practice that. Wouldn't even be aware of knowing the word present. It would just be like, I don't know what's going on, but I need quiet. Yes. Blind spot for a reason. (laughs) (laughs) Because you are blind to it. The fact that your sexual is second means that it is an area that is like pretty much you're at ease with it. So you don't overfocus on it, but it comes kind of like naturally, like you can pick it up or you can drop it or whatever. So how do you relate to having sexual second? What does that mean for you? I am perceived as very charismatic. And mm-hmm. I know that that's like something that the sexual eight is like, they say, I read something that's like, they smolder. They're so charismatic. And I would agree with that because I know a sexual aide and she is like that for sure. But I also can pull that out. And it that goes into that whole networking social thing where I can turn on a switch and be like the most charismatic person mm-hmm. around. You can turn off the fixation and infatuation with with people and not be too weird about it. Right. Yes. Yeah. I can't do I'm that. also, I, like, I know that sexual does not mean actual sexual but I did read that y'all are more lusty just about things and sometimes Mm -hmm. it depends on what it is but sometimes I can feel like that like I have a lot of lust right about things overindulgence yes yes you just would be with it as your second you'd be more able to turn it off yes I can turn it off like I'm very thankful for this because I know how challenging it can be for other people, but I do not have an addictive bone in my body. Yeah. Like I can turn anything off very, very quickly. But if I am feeling indulgent, I will absolutely be like, Ooh, yay me. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to treat myself. Yeah. It's actually funny because I do feel like I have an addictive tendency, but I can stop it. And you just made me think that like, I actually have the ability to just turn it off. Now it's a freight train for me. It's so interesting. It's gross. It's an area I feel out of control in. So anyway, that's just to highlight the difference. Can I ask one question? One of the things I was reading about is with self-repressed, like, are you big on details or process? Um, I think that's a little bit part of my five. Sometimes it really depends on what it is. Not always. I think I'm more big picture and I do like to act quickly. So I don't like to get lost in details or process, if that makes sense. And can you stick with like habits really easily? Ooh, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, only if they're forced habits, if you know, you know what I mean? Like to even when I wasn't teaching as much as I teach now, I've always been active, but I'm not somebody who could wake up and go to the gym and lift weights or walk on a treadmill. I have to go to a group class. There has to be some kind of accountability and then I can stick with it. But But if not, no, not really. And if you like new year's resolutions, like, are you, do you do those? No, not at all. (laughs) Cause I think I love the idea of it. And every year I think actually, no, that's not true. I, I know better now, but in the past, I have loved the idea of a new year's resolution and I like get all on board and it lasts for like two days. And then, yes. I'm, and then I'm over it. It's like, no, that's getting in the way of something better. <laughs> yes. My husband and I have decided that New Year's resolutions, because like I said, he's social as well. So we have decided that they do not work for us. We have to set smaller goals and yeah. do them and then move on. Like we can't, we can't think of like this year I will. I have to be incredibly intentional and it's so not natural and it takes everything in me to say no to the next thing, to continue to be intentional with what I originally decided I was going to be intentional with. Yes. And it feels draining till it becomes a habit. Yeah, I I haven't got that far, so. (laughs) 
That's it for today. We hope by now you've realized there's a lot more going on under the surface. And you'll continue to follow along as we take you inside the armor. <laughs>